I'd like to speak on a very fundamental uh, issue, really fundamental, uh, and I hope that what I say will be taken in the right way. Hellenism. What is Hellenism? Perhaps the earliest practical reference to Hellenism is found again in the Pasha that we read yesterday. Rashi comments on the Pasuk, the Brach which Yitzchak gives to Esau. Mishmane Haaretz Zu Italia Shel Yovon Esau is given a portion which is called literally the Italy of Greece. This is a strange phrase comes from the Medrash. Well, which one was it? Was it Italy, which we know was Rome? Or was it Greece? How can Rashi put the two together? My answer to this question is that fundamentally, Greece and Rome are basically one. We know that within the count of the four kingdoms, the Arab Alchios, they are in progression. First you have Yavan, and then you have Romi, or Edom. Romi and Edom are much more carefully and closely linked to Esav in our traditional sources. Nonetheless, the fact that in this Rashi we are taught that Esav receives the Italia Shel Yavan indicates to us there's a close link between Yavan, between Greek culture, between Hellenism and Esav as well. And I believe that fundamentally, as I said before, these two are almost one and the same. And let me explain. Chazal tell us that Esav was a man of this world a man of Olam Hazeh. If one looks in the Tana Devei Eliyahu, Zuta Perikutes, one sees that Esav and Yaakov already in utero discuss a deal. Yaakov will take Olam Haba and Esav will take Olam Hazeh. This is reaffirmed when the Bechorah is acquired, as we read yesterday, by Yaakov Avinu from Esav. Nonetheless, I believe that there are certain distinctions we have to make. Both within Esau and we'll see soon even within Yaakov. Who was Yavon? Greece. What did Greece stand for? We're about to hear a lot about Yavon as we approach Hanukkah. To make a long story very short, Greece glorified the body. Greece glorified the physical. Greece glorified Olam Hazet. Not only were they very involved in their sports activities, we all know about the Olympics, but even their worship, their deities, were representative of physical prowess. Even their religion, if you will, was one which glorified the body. Even their wise men, and we know about the wisdom of Greece, their wisdom, the philosophy, the brilliance, which is considered the underpinnings of American society, unfortunately, the Greek wise men were wise in the academy, but in their personal lives did not quite live a life of morality. The story is told of Aristotle, perhaps the greatest 
of all the Greek philosophers, who was found by his students in the academy, and they found him in a place of ill repute. There were different versions as to what type of ill repute it was. And they said, Aristotle, how could you conduct yourself in this fashion? And his response was classic. In the academy, I am Aristotle. Here, I'm not Aristotle. This was Greece. Contrast this to Rome. Rome was not that way. Rome, their spiritual leaders, if you will, their religious guides in Rome, which, as we know, is a seat to this day of Christianity, and the original Christianity was Catholicism, they were celibate. Far from being involved and overindulgent in physical pleasures, they were treated into monasteries, into celibacy, far, far away from the pleasures of this world. Yes, they were fully aware that the community at large could not adhere to this standard. Truth to be told, some of the priests did not adhere to the standard either. But there were some who did. But they felt, look, that's the rest of the world. We have to save ourselves. We're living the ideal life, the celibate life. The rest of the world, excuse me, <clears throat> has to resort to sinful type of life. These are the distinctions between, if you will, Greece and Rome. What about Yaakov Avinu? Was Yaakov Avinu only one way, or were there nuances, even within the description of our forefather Yaakov? Here too, it's an incredible expression, which is found in, in the Tana de Zuta. Quote, Yaakov says in the womb, Olam this world has in it, Achilo eating and drinking, Mata Umatan, buying and selling, Isha Ubanim, women and wives and children. This, you take Esau. All of this, Yaakov wants to give to Esau. And he, Yaakov, will live the life of Olam one gets the impressions from this source that Yaakov Avinu really wanted to live a life not that much distant from what some uh, aspire towards in, in later times in Romy. The, the kind of a thank you very much the kind of a, almost a celibate life without Isha Bonin, without Masamata, without doing business, without, without, doesn't mean literally no eating and drinking, you have to eat a little bit but not more than that. This is the impression that we receive from this Talmudic source, this Midrashic source, Tanavel Yozuta. The truth is, it's very possible that even Yitzchak Avinu had this as his private agenda. Look carefully in the parasha we read yesterday, and you will find that Yitzchak Avinu wanted to give Esau the physical blessings and reserve the Birchas Avram, the spiritual one, for Yaakov Avinu. What did he want? Yitzchak wanted that the physical needs of Yaakov be taken care of by Esau. What were these needs? Needs such as military protection. The Rav Hirsch implies in the, in the celebrated passage which Rav Yud and Shalita refer to. Had things gone right, the Al-Kar the sword of Esau could have been used to protect Yaakov rather than, rather than kill him. Yaakov would have been free to pursue his his Torah studies. 
And as Chasam Sofa would have it, Yitzchak had in mind that Esav should support Yaakov. That Esav should be, if you call, if you recall, the Zvulun. Esav should be Zvulun, and Yisachar would be Yaakov. Yaakov would be the Yisachar. Only learning. This was Yitzchak's plan, and the truth is, not a bad plan. Yitzchak Avinu was a great man. However, Rivka saw that it just wasn't going to work. Maybe it's utopian. Chazal say that there will be a time when it will be Zohar Nasa Malach Deacherim. The Omdu Goyim Rotzonka, the Gemara Masechta Brochus. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai wanted us to live in utopia. We follow Rabbi Yishmael who says, no, we have to live in the real world. And in the real world, as Rivko Yimein who saw, Esau was interested in killing Yaakov, not in protecting him. And he's certainly not interested in supporting Yaakov financially. Therefore, there's no alternative but that Yaakov receive both blessings. The Birchas Avram, which he received at the end of the Parsha, and the Birchas Tala Shemaim and Shemani Haaretz, which he received in the Vyita Lachal at the beginning of the parsha, when he was masquerading as Asaph. So, at the end of the day, despite the potential that Asaph had to be the protector of Yaakov, the supporter of Yaakov, to sublimate, as we heard earlier from Rav Yudin Shlita, to sublimate the Mazel Madim that, that Asaph had in space, he was the ultimate Admoni, a man of blood could have been a blood letter, a shaykhet, a moel, we call today a doctor, instead, <laughs> a good doctor. Doctors take, take, uh, take, I mean, in the best possible sense. A doctor is someone who has this talent, this nature, and he uses it to save lives. Unfortunately, as was said, the name of Rav Hirsch, it wasn't brought up that way, and he ended up spilling blood in a murderous fashion. This is my introduction based on the parsha that we read yesterday. Let me proceed to the world that we inhabit. As I look around the audience, I see some individuals who are my senior, many who are my junior. And I'm speaking from my perspective. The world when I grew up as a youngster, younger than anybody sitting in the room right now, and the world that we inhabit today. And we'll discuss it in the approximately 50 years since the 50s. People are now trying to romanticize the 50s. Let's not get too carried away. But let's talk about, I think, by looking at the people around, I think many people here remember the 50s. And let's talk about today, in 2005. What has changed? May I submit, when I grew up in the 50s, we were living in Rome. And now we're living in Greece. What does that mean? We're living in New York. So, 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 what, so what does that mean? Let me explain. In the 50s, what did American society glorify? One word. The family. The family was glorified by America. The intact nuclear family a father and a mother and a number of children. You check yourself the statistics of how many children were born per average family in the 50s. That was the theme. 
family life. I'm not discussing the Jewish community. Certainly not the Orthodox community. I'm talking about the general American community. When I grew up, as I did in Queens and Kew Garden Hills, there was a long block with one other firm couple besides my, my own family. But the, everyone else was, were intact families. Some Jewish, some not Jewish. That was the essence of the life of the 50s. Were there dastardly behaviors, immoral, perversive? Yes. It's happened since the beginning of time. But they were recognized as such. They were done privately. With a, if one was discovered, there was a sense of shame. This is how it was. This is Rome. Rome. So of course the the, the, the chiefs, the of, the of this religion are the highest. Those who are completely celibate, and the remainder are told you have to lead a healthy family life. The dispensation to marry, but in a, we'll call it a monogamous and healthy relationship. And this is how it was. Of course there were aberrations, but they were underground because you couldn't get up there and say, I am living an adulterous lifestyle or a homosexual lifestyle. You just couldn't say that then because it was looked down upon. Even in, in the world of entertainment, that's the way it was. The TV program in my memory was called then Father Knows Best. And whether it was father or mother, that's not the point, but there was an intact family. That's, that's what we were watching. That's how it was then. Now, we live in Greece. In Greece, there were no holes barred. All types of activities, the most perverse the most debased were considered acceptable because one worshipped his or her own body. Mm-hmm. This was the, the essence of Aesop. Aesop proper. Perhaps Aesop in Rome is, as Rashi comments and other Mepharshim say in the Medrash, that Aesop sticks up his, what he calls his chazafisl to show how we have an, you know, a glorious society. And there are aberrations. But I believe it was more than that. You know, maybe I was naive. I was certainly very young then in the 50s. It was before Bar Mitzvah. But from the little that I saw, at least outwardly, things were okay. And whatever was inside was limited. By definition, things were limited. As opposed to today, where everything goes. The truth is, what people saw aberrant behavior years ago, they didn't want to get involved in it. They tried to hide it. They tried to cover it up. It was not something that he talked about. It was an embarrassment to everybody. Let's just think of the contrast of John Kennedy to Bill Clinton. I'm not discussing tzaddikim over here. <laughs> but, you know, when Kennedy was shot, and people here can remember that when it happened, he was a hero. He was a, he was a tzaddik. No one knew about his side lives at the time. 
maybe the, the media knew something. They kept it quiet. Who wants to talk about these things? I don't have to talk about Bill Clinton. Everyone knows. Everyone, even the youngest person in the room knows, knows, knows what happened there. This is an, as, as a symptom. That's in the world of Esau. They can move from Rome to Greece. But what about us? What about the Torah community? How do we compare to what it was 50 years ago? I don't believe in revisionist history. I like to, to, to say it the way I see it. Now, I could be I'm wrong. This is the way I see it. 50 years ago, everybody in the Torah, almost everybody in the Torah community was following the formula of Rivko Imenu. Rivko Imenu, who taught Yaakov to be a man of this world, to be involved in, in Tala, Shemayim, and Shemani Horitz. Everybody was earning a livelihood. In the community, there was an Orthodox community, had one rabbi, and everybody else was earning a living. One. Everyone else was, whatever they were doing, some was were shopkeepers in those years, and all kinds of uh, artisans, and there were a few doctors and lawyers starting start to come then. Accountants, you name it. There was one rabbi, he was, hmm? and everybody else was, 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 was working. And how much did the people who were working learn in their youth? Not so much. Not so much. If someone learned through high school, there was a lot in those years. And if you learned a few years beyond high school, it was really a lot. The whole phenomenon that Rabbi Yudish Lita described in Israel, whoever it is, the 1950s, no one went to Israel to, to study Torah. It's unheard of. Despite that fact, from the, what I was able to perceive, and again, in my, my, from my perspective of that, the Torah community was almost completely exempt from the terrible failings of Asaph. Because, as I said earlier, these are viewed as failings even by Asaph in what I call the Roman period. At a time when we'll call it adultery was looked down upon. So that was a, a, a stop. The Eitzhara is very old. No one died, denies the Eitzhara. It's been there from the very beginning. But there were certain breaks and stops on it. Today, many in our community are following the Yitzchak model for part, sometimes even a big part, and sometimes all their lives studying Torah full-time for a number of years. There are many who live in communities where the principle of kolel exists for a number of years after marriage, and for some, they lead totally spiritual lives in the sense that they're not out there earning a livelihood. They are Ishtam Yosheva Holim, running away from the spiritual perils of the Greece in which we live. And as I say, those who do it Hashem Shemayim for the sake of heaven, kolakavot, perhaps they'll be less endowed financially. But those who do it for the sake of learning, the highest level. Or for the sake of getting away from the temptations, which is also a high level, 
as long as they are honest, if they want to be Yisachar, as they find Zvulun to support them, fine. But, this is not for everybody. Most of us have to go out there, earn a livelihood, and here is where the danger has dramatically increased. Because the office that the people in this room are going to is not the same as it was then. I remember as a child going to my father's office in Manhattan. And it was not a spiritual threat to my innocence as, as, a, as a teenager. Now we're talking the 60s already. I went to the office. It was an office. Everything was... People were non-Jewish people and all kinds of people. It was an office. You couldn't see anything, at least to my eye, I was getting a little bit older then already, couldn't see anything wrong. Today, the whole world is different. Today, as my students who are in that world tell me, one conversation comes to mind immediately, a Tom and as an attorney working in a Manhattan office tells me, that all the scuttlebutt around the water cooler is about you know, infidelity and who is carrying on with whom and this and that within the firm, beyond the firm this is what everyone's talking about and as we know we lead lives in the American society which are very focused on media and entertainment and if when I was a young child, so we'd come the next day to school and tell, tell our friends in school, you know what happened last night? Our father knows best. Whatever, whatever silliness happened. Today, I'm not an expert in the fair at all. But from what I'm told by those who have greater expertise than myself, all these programs are about abnormal situations. There are no more intact families. And a, an intact family, the father, instead of being knows best, is characterized or caricatured as an idiot. Because he wants to live a normal life with a normal wife and have normal children. That's not exciting anymore. We no longer are in Rome. We're in Greece. We have become Hellenized American society at large. Sad to say that the ones who are closest to us in thinking are the Southern Baptists. They're the ones who are trying to fight against this transformation from Rome into Greece. Not to talk, to talk about the red states and the blue states and the, and the coasts and the mid... But this is the realities. On the coasts, anything goes. Whether it be San Francisco or New York. And the media in California and New York are playing it to the hilt. It was some kind of a jingle when I was growing up and watching on the, on the programs which drew a comparison between two institutions. And they were called love and marriage. Some of you may be able to fill in all the words, a horse and carriage or something like that. that that's, that's how it went. Today, it's v'nahapuchu. That's from Purim. But, 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 but it's, uh, you can say it on Hanukkah. It's the opposite. In, in the minds of the media moguls, marriage is stale. 
And love is all outside of marriage with someone else's wife, or with a, maybe with a male, or maybe with some teenage girl. Who knows what? Everyone is in their there. All kinds of sitcoms I hear about with all kinds of convoluted combinations. I can't even begin to, to, to understand them and enumerate them. That's what's going on today. That's grief. It's a sad reality. Let's be frank. Let's, let's look ourselves in the mirror. Fifty years ago, within the Orthodox community, let's talk for a minute, since I'm a rabbi in a young Israel, and this is a young Israel, let's talk about what he's called, he's called the Young Israel Movement in the 50s. So, I don't believe in hiding what was that. There were mixed stances in the Young Israel. I, 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 I'm not trying to hide from my children. It, it, it existed. I don't think there's a single young Israel today which has I don't think so. I think, it's, I think it's gone. There was mixed dancing. None of the women covered their hair. You were lucky, the Rebbitson. I'm telling you, that's the way it is. Or was. Everyone went to the, to the beach. This is how it was. <laughs> Those who were older than me, I think will confirm what I'm saying is, is, is true, even though some of the younger ones are saying, What? But you know, despite this, despite this, which we view as invitations to sin, and the Chazal said, Lo Sikhu and the Torah said it, and the Chazal amplified it, despite that fact, there were breaks, there were stops, and the people who conducted themselves in that fashion lived, I'm going to say it, I hope it's understood the right way, pure lives. Did they violate Los Sikavu? Yes. And Sebi Sherva? Yes. And, and, and Los Asurach Reinechem? Yes. Maybe I should say that. That, that. that last one I want to retract. Were they over on, on Vinishmarta Mikoldova Roth to see what, what shouldn't be seen? Yes. But they were not in violation of Los Asurach Reinechem in the full sense, which means Asheratem Zonim Achareim. The prohibition is literally meant in a case where someone is ogling a woman, or a woman a man for that matter, as so Ramosh writes in his Shuvis, with the intention of znus, of illicit relations. And that, you know, I never like to say for certain, I was too young in those, in those years. To my mind, this was not what they were thinking. With their mixed dance, and with their mixed swim, and mit, with, what? They wasn't thinking. Because it, it, was, it was disgusting. It was out of bounds behavior. We're living in Rome. And so despite the temptations that these activities brought, I believe that the vast, vast majority of these plain, we'll call them young Israel Jews of then, who did not have a strong Torah education, were pure Jews. Unfortunately, in today's world, despite the fact that institutionally there's almost no mixed dancing in our synagogues. Many, many more women are covering their hair, married women. Mixed swimming is not as all as popular as it was then, although it still exists in certain circles. Despite these improvements, quote-unquote, I believe there's much more impurity in the Orthodox Jewish community. Forgive me, but I, I must tell you how I feel. And I'm blaming the guy. Vayis Arvu Bagoyim Vayil Madumi Maaseh. 
a pasuk. They mixed with the non-Jews and they learned from them. When we lived in Rome, what did they say? Do what the Romans do. And at least outwardly, they were doing proper things and we try to do, even inwardly, most of them were presumably more proper than they are now. So we follow them. Now that they're Greece, so everything goes by them, so by us. It's not as bad. I, I'm not Khalilah saying we're as bad as they are, but it's crept into our society. Rachman al-Islam. In the outside world today, Adultery is almost a mitzvah. Just look at look look at the at, at the TV. This is what they're glorifying. Homosexuality. I mean, you have to you know you have to accept it as, as an alternative lifestyle. You can't look down upon it. You say one word bad, and right away you're attacked. The Torah calls it toeva, calls it a perversion. I remember, and I think they were right. Could have been an editorial or op-ed in the New York Times some years back when they were attacking the quote homophobes who were critical of and very strongly critical of, of homosexual activity. They say, "What are you quoting the Bible? A chutzpah! You are quoting the Bible. The Bible prohibits adultery too. Doesn't stop you guys." And they're right. They're right. We who believe in the Chumash, Libat Gemara, Chumash, know that both of these types of activities are simply, absolutely beyond the pale. But the outside world has forgotten about that, and it's impacted upon us, Rachman al-Islan, us in the broader sense. And, let's not forget, there's always technological progress. There was a stop on some of these activities in the 50s. A woman's fear of pregnancy. But you know, came the pill with what they call the revolution and then with legalized abortion. Eh, you know, this, the stops, the breaks have been, have been taken away. Unfortunately, therefore, what I call orthodox society, these types of perverse activities, which almost didn't exist at all, if they existed, were very well hidden, have not come to the fore, unfortunately. But you think about it, there's an irony about our society. Our society being Greece means no holds barred. Anything goes. And it goes to opposite extremes. It's, it's quite remarkable. On the one hand, the doctors are complaining, correctly, that people are simply eating much too much. It's not safe. You read in the, in the article, I read carefully because I, I want to be healthy, and they read there about the percentages of Americans that are overweight some even what they call obese, dangerous to your health, Rahman al-Islam, they give all the dangers of diabetes and heart and the works. Where does it come from? After all said and done, people are simply eating too much, eating wrong and eating too much. The taivas hamachal, people have tremendous urges and lusts for food which they cannot contain. It's on the one hand. Didn't have, as all the studies show in America, you don't have to argue in America, People had more self-control then. The percentage of these problems in American society at large has multiplied dramatically in the last 50 years. That's for sure. Yet, you have this opposite machla. It's called anorexia. Where there are some people, girls are particularly prone to it, who want to make themselves so skinny, they don't eat, they throw up, it's, it's, they're literally endangering their lives. Not long-term, short-term. Rahman al-Islam. Because 
you know, how they, how they look has become an obsession. And the truth is, this obsession continues in certain parts of our society where physical fitness and how a person looks, etc., has become something to flaunt. I'm not discussing somebody who, who is running on a treadmill to, to, to lose weight or someone who wants to be in good shape as an aerobic exercise. That's, that's, that's wonderful. But it's become a place where people have to go to the gym and now everyone has to have a personal trainer and to be Popeye and uh, what's, what's the girl version of Popeye? They have those now too, which in those days was considered an anathema. But now in the egalitarian world, you know, it works for, the, for both genders. This, unfortunately, is Greece. Glorification of the body. Unfortunately, this kind of glorification can lead to the worst possible sinful behavior. I'm going to give you a psak, which you don't have to listen to because I'm not the rabbi here. But in, to my mind, it's, it's obvious, it's pushed, just based on what we've seen, that a woman is not permitted to have a male personal trainer. I know it exists. Chachamim have taught us to stay away from such type of activities. And if you don't believe the Chachamim, look at the contemporary world. Not father knows best, Chachamim knows best. Today we live in Greece. The Rambam tells us in Hilchos Tshuva that we have to Repent, not just from the sins, you know, we didn't daven, we didn't learn, we, 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 we ate non-kosher food, whatever they may be. No! You're running after food. You're running after it. That itself requires repentance. It's a bad attribute and you have to repent from it. It's, it's in effect sinful. You can't talk about shu if it's not sinful. And, I will mention briefly, he discusses in the same parak, halacha, there were those who were running after money. Another part of our society today. Look, there were always people who wanted money and 50 years ago there were also people who wanted money. But there was so much more of a, what we'll call a middle class society. You know, the house, the block I lived on, it was, it was, uh, just, everyone, everyone got along, you know, it was, it was more difficult, it was somewhat less. This kind of, of tremendous wealth, which is a blessing in some ways, can also be a curse. I've seen cases, I, I dare say all of you have seen as well, where wealth causes the destruction of the house. Destruction of the family is money. The root of all evil. I want to quote to you another young Israel colleague, the late Rabbi Louis Bernstein, the Chronicle of Rocha, who was a rabbi in a young Israel in Windsor Park. He told me, in 40 years of Rabbanus, there were no divorces in his shul. And I asked him why. He said there was no money. <laughs> huh? That's a very harsh statement, but you those who knew Rabbi Bernstein knew he, he called it like he saw it, and, and it's a lot of truth to what he was saying. So look around in your own, you know, the, the houses that unfortunately are broken, and there's so many more houses broken today than there were then. 
I went, I was in the young Israel of Kew Garden Hills in the 50s. Big shul, I mean, a huge shul, just as big then, bigger, probably more full than it is now. And there was whispers that, somewhere in the front, there's one guy there with a divorce. I'm not kidding, that, that's how it was, it was whispered. The world has changed. Because people are too self centered. And this rat race for money, Radifa Samaman, can cause jealousy. It can cause theft, where people have to keep up with the, with the standards that are imposed upon them by others in their communities. And yes, it can even cause infidelity. People have money, they have opportunities, do what they want, they go on vacations here, there, this, that. Unfortunately. For us, marriage, as Rav Desta writes, is a lifetime opportunity to perform kindnesses with one spouse, husband or wife. That's the essence of a Torah marriage. However, in Greece, it wasn't that way. Even if a person married in Greece, he did it for his own personal, as we heard before from the rabbi, instant gratification. You know, in our society, unfortunately, even if we're talking about individuals who are not going to violate the Ten Commandments, because they still have a sense of conscience, and they'll view them as it's due today, as the ten suggestions. But are they really, is every one of them, as loyal to a spouse as it was then? Unfortunately, there are too many who are following in the footsteps of Lemech, who aside from having a wife and children, had a trophy wife. That's what Rashi says. A trophy wife. Rabbeinu Gershom disallowed two at the same time. So they're all too many who do it, or they say one after the other. They get married, have a wife, have children. And you know, this wife is no longer as beautiful, maybe as slim as she used to be because she bore his children. And she's at home raising his children. And then his eye starts to wander and he gets bored. Who knows what? Can't do a sin. We have to get divorced. And it takes a trophy wife. Many years younger. More beautiful, etc. What is our attitude towards these people? Do we glorify them? Because they have some dollars? Or are we upset, and I even say outraged, at this kind of behavior? What I consider to be a begida, be'eshes ne'urov. Traitorous towards the wife of one's youth. And by the way, there are cases the other way around too. I don't want to be... There are women who have done the same thing in the other direction. Do we tolerate it? And what if the man is, is while he's married, conducting himself in an inappropriate fashion? Happens everywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm, it happened in my shul. I have a very tiny little shul. Guy is carrying on with a secretary, and he wants to be accepted as, as a member of good standing in my shul. 
I give myself the credit, I would not allow it. Out. Out! And out remains out. I don't know about any statute of limitations. That woman whose life was ruined, this guy is going to just walk around with impunity? I think it's wrong, morally wrong, halakhically wrong. The world continues to develop. Now we have internet. Great! Torah web. What kind of good things? That's the good part. But unfortunately, as I'm sure those who are on the net know better than, than I am, I'm an illiterate in this genre. So much pornography. So much terrible things that people get caught up with. And again, I'm speaking only from experience having to pick up some of these pieces. It's almost not your fault. It's, it's there. It pops up at you and it comes to you and you press one button maybe by mistake and it's there. It, it's a terrible thing. I don't have a good solution. I was recently at a meeting where a Rav in Eretz Yisrael said he declared an Easter, a prohibition of yichud, of seclusion with the internet. Just as a man cannot be secluded in privacy with a woman, he should not be secluded with the internet. I think it's a, an excellent sock. If you have to have internet in your house, it should be in the pu- most public room, in the middle of the living room, dining room, not anyone's private room, Khalila. And if children are by themselves, I don't know how to do it, they lock it up, with passwords, I mean, they, I'm told you can get around everything, but at least try. But more than try. What's your personal example? Children are the smartest, smartest people around us. They know all of our weaknesses, and you can fool the outside world, but you cannot fool your old children. If you're peeping Tom where you shouldn't be peeping, your children are going to know about it. How can I be? Two in the morning, huh? I'm telling you, they'll know about it. I don't know how, what, they'll know, they'll find out about it, they'll, they'll intuit it. You have to be above all a personal example for them. We live in an outside world. Now we're talking about, you know, this big shopping seasons. Everyone's going to buy things. They're buying clothing. Ladies and gentlemen, the clothing that's out there is not according to halachic standards, to say the least. Reveals too much, hugs too much, and it, it's simply wrong. What is it? Grease! It's glorifying the body. Whether you reveal it, or you, you because you're wearing tight clothes, it, it all shows. That's grease. That's Hellenism. You go to buy in a store, you are guilty, I'm afraid, of Hellenism. I'm sorry to say, you have to buy in a, in a Haredi store. I have no alternatives. I don't know where else they're going to find. But then they go to the stores and they're trying to find one. They have 55 garments on the rack. 52 are out of the question. And the three, you know, is borderline. Maybe we'll fix it up a little bit. Maybe not. You're looking in the wrong rack. I'm speaking specifically about women's clothing. Men is a, a different story for maybe for a different time. Because I see my time is up.
Every mother should be a, a model for her for her daughter. Because all your preaching will, 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 will be worth nothing if you go to a to a simcha and you're not dressed properly or something like that in shul or in school. It just let me conclude. We are Yaakov. We are not Esav. That's the long and the short of it. The Idach Perusha Zilgamar. We are people of Olam Haba. As Yaakov was. Do we live in this world? Absolutely. This is the only place, only in this world, are we able to prepare ourselves for the next. Only in this world. Which is the chamber leading in. Where the pros are going into the trackland. Once a person gets to the next world, it's much too late to do anything to deserve that world. Here in this world, that is Yaakov. Let us hope and pray that all of us will stay as far away as we can from the Hellenism of our world. And this chus will be privileged to see that day of Ba'olu Moshim Bahartiyon Lishbodes Haresov who will stay far away from Esau, when all the Esau's will come to recognize the kingdom of the divine. Amen.